My name is Lauren Reese, and I'm a 45-year-old resident of Iowa City. I've lived here for about 20 years. My name is Jeff Portman. I'm the rabbi at the synagogue in Iowa City. I go to Sachi, and I've been here 31 years. My name is Jerry Sorok, and I am the executive director of the University of Iowa Hillel Foundation. A few months ago, I was a member of a, a group of individuals from our community here in Iowa City who conducted a traditional preparation of the body before burial for someone who died that involved ritual washing of the body and getting it prepared for burial. You know, Jewish tradition says that there's a whole series of steps that you're supposed to take to wash a body. Now it's not to wash it literally to clean it, it's a ritual purification that is aimed at maintaining dignity and uh, helping the people who are preparing the body think about this person with the utmost level of respect. First time I did was actually for my father-in-law several years ago. I'd never been to one in New Jersey, and I was asked to be part of it. I found it to be very, very moving because this is something you do for a person, and that person can never ever repay you. It's a, it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment to do without any hope of payment. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. Some of the ancient rituals, some of the old ways of doing things, bring more meaning and bring more satisfaction than the more contemporary approaches that might be more easily understandable because they're done in English and they're done quickly, but don't really have much depth to them. And in Iowa City, in memory, in, in 30 years or so that Rabbi Portman had been here, he could only remember it being done once, and that was for a woman. I didn't know that this ritual existed until about two years ago when I got a phone call, and I guess it was from Jeff Portman, the rabbi here, uh, looking for women who would be interested in helping a family who wanted to perform this ritual on their daughter who had just passed away. There were four or five of us, and you know, when it's a woman, there's a, a different committee. It's a committee of women, of course. We all knew the person who had died. I knew him quite well. One of the others knew him extremely well. Others knew him probably less well. So I, I knew intellectually that this was the right thing to do, but I wasn't sure emotionally how I would respond. I've been around life with spies for a long time because when you do funerals, you, I've seen lots of unfortunate dead people in the hospital and outside the hospital, so that didn't bother me. I was nervous because I uh, had never handled a, a dead body before. Uh, most of the other people involved were physicians and I'm not one so they were much more accustomed to being with dead bodies than I would be. And this was my first experience of hands on a dead body but it began with um, about five women. I think two of them were physicians, two of them were people who are kind of in the holistic healing trades and me who myself was at the same the same age of this woman who died of cancer and I I'm living with breast cancer, and so I had my own angle of fascination with it. He had died the day before. This was first thing the next morning. It was at the funeral home that was uh, assisting us. The funeral itself was going to be at the synagogue here, but in Iowa City there's no Jewish funeral home, so there's a, a, a secular home, a funeral service that helps with Jewish funerals. The funeral director was extremely accommodating and, and very interested in this because he had never seen this tradition either. He's not Jewish, but he watched it and found it fascinating to see how it differed from other ways of preparing a body. We gathered at Lensing Funeral Home. Of the five of us, two of us had read up on it and learned the rituals and had to teach everybody else. That was a comfort. 
right, to be amongst a group of women, right? You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this with a man. You're not doing this with people outside your community. It was women who I knew well enough to feel okay. What was touching to me is that, you know, this, you have this lifeless body, which if if I knew the person, I knew that person was before, and so all those emotions go back to you and all those experiences you had with that person come to as you're washing them by. He was a teacher, he was a leader in the community, and by giving him this respectful ritual washing, uh, I felt like this was the way to pay tribute to this individual's contributions to our community. She was emaciated and her hair was pretty much gone and she had clearly been at the end of of a devastating illness and, and a lot of treatment. She smelled like death, you know, and I remember looking at her hands and just her beautiful hands and just saying how they weren't ever going to touch anybody again. The whole point of the Tahara is to give honor and respect to the body, uh, to the deceased, the Met. This is about the holiest thing you can do. But at the same time, uh, we know that there's a possibility that we might slip up. And so, at the beginning of the Tahara, the people participating will say together, naming the person who's died, they say, we ask ask your forgiveness forgiveness for any distress distress we may cause you during this Tahara. tahara. We will do do everything possible to ensure that you are treated with respect and that all the elements of Tahara are properly completed. Everything we are about to do is for the sake of your honor. There was a lot going on in one short amount of time there. It was slow, it was cautious. It was extremely complex in terms of the, the way this woman's body was to be rinsed and the flow of the water had to go from the head downward. During the portion of the tahara in which the body is being washed, it's customary to recite a passage from the Song of Songs. Hinach yafa rayati, hinach How beautiful you are, my beloved friend. Your eyes are doves from behind your tresses. Your hair as a flock of goats that trail down from Mount Gilad. Your teeth like a flock of sheep that rise from the washing pool, that are all matched with no break among them. Like a crimson ribbon, your lips. And your speech is pleasant. Like a pomegranate is the curve of your cheek from behind your tresses. Like a tower of David, your neck, raised in splendor. A thousand shields hang upon it, shields of the warriors. Your two breasts as two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. You are all lovely, my beloved friend, and there is no flaw in you. None of us had ever participated in one of these things before. And so we were, weren't making it up as we went along. We were going very much from a list of directions that had been put together for what you're supposed to do, beginning on the right side, you pour the water from top to bottom, uh, then you do the left side, and you turn the body over, and you do the genitals, and finally you do the head. At the end of that process of uh, pouring three buckets of water over the body, then the members of the team of the group will recite Taharahi, Taharahi, Taharahi. She is pure. She is pure. She is pure. And then when she was fully washed, I remember we had to to put her in the Jewish ceremonial burial garb. Judaism 
says quite explicitly that we come into the world all the same. We're all, you know, slimy and naked. And it's important that we are supposed to leave this world all the same. And that's why we cover the body in a very simple white garment that's supposed to be the same for anybody, regardless of their level of wealth or their level of prominence in the community. It's like a white tunic and white pants and then a sash that you had to tie, I believe it was 13 times around the waist. Just as the tefillin, the straps and boxes that are uh, used for morning prayers are tied in such a way that the letters making up God's name are actually written on your body as you're praying. Uh, they use a special set of knots for tying the sash in order to create the letter Sheen, which is the first letter in the name Shaddai, which is one of the names of God. The other letters, Dalit and Yud in Shaddai, are also there by how the ends of the sash are hanging. So that the three letters can actually be read across the body of the, the Met. And then we put them into a simple casket. We had to put her in actually a cardboard box that was like stapled together that she was going to be shipped in. She had advanced cancer and they came here for treatment. They were from Connecticut and so she died here and she wasn't going to be buried here but she needed to be washed here and then her body was shipped back to Connecticut for burial. It's customary to sprinkle afar, which is just, it's dust, often from the land of Israel, onto the body, but not entering the body, onto the outside of the uh, eyes, the heart, the genital area. It's about the connection between Adam and Adama. Adam meaning humanity, Adam being Adam, the first person, and Adama, the earth, that's all about bringing that connection to full circle. And on the bottom of the box there was sand that was from Israel, that that's a piece of this thing, that you get buried with Eretz Israel, that the land of Israel goes with you into the grave. In Israel, uh, burials often take place without a coffin at all, because an even more traditional Jewish way of burial is to cover the body in a cloak and put it into the ground. Because the old saying, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we truly believe that. You want the body to deteriorate into the earth and to return to where it came from initially. I remember being a little girl and burying my great aunt Anna and just thinking, oh, that's how I want to go. It just seemed completely right to me to go into a wooden box into the ground and disintegrate over time. Once the body is placed into the coffin, we're asked to, uh, to ask forgiveness uh, speak to them by name and say, We ask your forgiveness if we did not act according to your honor, even though we acted according to our custom. Then the coffin is closed. If there's a Star of David, it's supposed to be put at the foot of the lid. The coffin is not supposed to be reopened. And that, that's it. That's the end. can be an, an emotional process, maybe more so, especially if you're preparing the body of someone you don't know, uh, where what you're doing is providing among the most important aspects of respect for humanity, and doing it to someone you don't know is a great act of charity and of loving kindness. I was the same age as this woman, I had the same disease that this woman had, and so I felt you know, I needed to keep a certain level of emotional distance. My emotional experience was trying to grapple with that. The few times we've done it, 
everybody that's participated in it has found to be a very moving experience because here this person can't do anything for you. It's, it's the last thing that will be done to this person before they go in the ground. You're sort of participating in this person's, well, it depends on what you believe in the hereafter, but for some people who believe there's some, something afterwards, you're sort of helping that person enter into whatever there might be. It was a very powerful thing to do, and I felt quite good about it afterwards. I felt like this was the right way to pay tribute to someone that I had considered a, a teacher and, and, uh, and a mentor in some ways. Now, for those people who didn't have any experience with a body, it was a little traumatic. And, you know, I think probably as the time went on, I got a little more comfortable with it, and I participated a little bit more, and I think maybe there were a few moments where I was like, I kind of need to get out of this room. But everyone that's done it said that they do it again. I would expect that if the circumstance arose again and I was asked to do it, I would agree. I wasn't squeamish. I wasn't feeling like this was odd. I was actually feeling somehow enlivened by it. But like anything, you know, it's the first time you do it is the hardest and then you get through it and you're changed and you go on. I would do it again in a minute. I had a great appreciation for the attentiveness involved, you know. It was a very dignified experience in its own way. And, you know, you think, well, you'd never have sort of five women standing around you naked like that in life. It's one of those ironies, you know, no one would tend to you so carefully, really, if you were alive. Judaism really believes that the body is holy, that the body is, in some ways, ours on loan, that our soul enters the body at birth. We use the body to get us through our lives, and then when the body expires, we live on, and that's the whole concept of, of the afterlife, but yet the body itself is a holy vessel that needs to be treated as such. I'm proud to be part of such a tradition that honors the body. I wish that I think I wish there was a culture that honored the body more in life, as much in life as it does in death. Death is, is very much part of life, and it can be a very sad part of life. It can be a painful part of life, but it is death. It's very much there. Being in the presence of death just brings you closer to it. And so I liked being close to it. I would like to be close to it more. There's almost a comfort in, like, this isn't that scary. It's like, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what happened to everybody who came before and everybody who's gonna come. And then as the members of the Tahara group leave, they say together, House, House of, of Israel, Israel, come let us come walk, let us in, walk God's in God's light. God's light. The rock, the rock of, Israel of Israel has spoken and called, and called the world, the into, world being. into being. From the from east where the, the sun rises to the place where it sets. Peace shall come, and each of us shall rest in our appointed place. For dust we are, and unto dust we return. God has given, and God has taken away. May the name of God be blessed. Amen.